Happy Docalays to you, my friends. My Docalos, welcome to the Documenteers Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Sham, and each week, myself and a fellow enthusiast watch, discuss, and judge a documentary. And this week, we stick to our Christmas theme as we discuss Rob Van Alcamati's Consumerist Holiday Warning in its 2007 film about Reverend Billy and the Stop Shopping Choir. Johnny and I tackle the documentary, What Would Jesus Buy? And this is available to watch for free on Reverend Billy's own YouTube channel. What's more important, the message of a film or the way that it's made? I can tell you this ain't a perfect film, but we did talk a lot about the ideals inside. How did it hold up? Listen on, my friends. I promise this episode is the last of the Bob Sham Holiday Wine Fest. And next week, we will make up for all of it as we drop a bona fide Christmas Day episode. My dear wife, Angela, joins me as it should be on that day. And we are going to discuss not one, not two, not three, but four documentaries that can all be found on Netflix. Folks, are present to you. Probably way cooler than the stuff the wise men gave baby Jesus. We're talking about the fireplace log films. Yes, those hour long. And yes, I do think they are documentaries. Movies that simply show a fireplace log burning. Some have music and some don't. Angela loves putting them on during this time of year when she's doing things around the house. And for Christmas, we are going to break them all down one by one. There's the classic one, then that same version with music, then there's a Birchwood edition, and then there's a graphically generated burning barrel one that apparently spins off of that movie Bright that's on Netflix. It stars Will Smith. I've never seen it, probably never will, but we will be discussing the fireplace edition of it because why not? It's going to be a loose episode. Maybe we will be hitting the nog while we're doing it. Once the family settles in from the long day, after that holiday winds down, tune in and hear us go on and on about burning wood. Follow us on Instagram. Email us at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. Give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen. We consider each five-star review on iTunes a Christmas miracle, and I appreciate all of the documentary-loving Jingle Babies out. Enough of that, let's get into the Christmas grind with a movie that is a bit of a grind in and of itself. What Would Jesus Buy? By Rob Van Alcamati. Keep on jingling and keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Johnny, happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Same to you, sir. This episode drops a week before Christmas. We will have a Christmas episode. I kind of feel sorry for the listeners because I get all wound up around the holidays. But people who know me are around me during the holidays, their eyeballs are permanently rolled up into their head because... That is super true. I'm probably (laughs) just griping and griping. (laughs) 
And I realize now since Thanksgiving, I've been griping about Christmas, as the listeners know. I, I mean, so far, I haven't heard you go on a rant about do they know it's Christmas yet. Do they know it's Christmas time <laughs> Right, that song, do Every they know it's Christmas? Every year I hear you say, do they know it's Ramadan, motherfuckers? <laughs> well, They don't have to know it's Christmas. I think everybody hates that fucking song. They should. I think the guy who wrote that song apologized for writing that song. Really? I'm pretty sure it was that. It was either that or We Are the World. No, it was Do They Know It's Christmas. He was like, listen, it was tone deaf. I'm sorry. Maybe that person should offer up a, a blood sacrifice of themselves. Maybe then we can really move on from it. And Paul McCartney can apologize for his having a wonderful Christmas time. If he could do that, that'd be great. I run a show called The Unlistenable Hour, and I will not play that song. <laughs> I'm working on Unlistenable Christmas right now, and it's that song is nowhere near the scope of my show. You don't want to get that unlistenable. No, oh, fuck no. I mean, there's definitely going to be a gospel group singing a rock <laughs> song about Judas, but and that's right, your your show Unlistenable Hour on WXNA. Yeah, that website is. Uh, WXNAFM.org. That's right. And you can also find Drew's shows, Walk It Off and Loud Love. Yes. On there as well. But you are a new DJ there. And I love this little WXNA connection that's forming with the documenteers. I absolutely agree. And we know other people. We have other friends that have uh, shows on there too. We got the Inconsiderate Mixtape. And also Polyrhythmic Petting Zoo. Listen uh, to DJ all, Mr. Sparkle. All Listen to all. We know all these people. And maybe we should, uh, someday as, when the Documenteers get some, even more momentum, we should have like some kind of uh, WXNA Documenteers party. Maybe the people who run the station should uh, acknowledge the existence of the Documenteers. <laughs> documenteers has lasted a full year, and I think we were all pleasantly surprised. Yeah, we're, go we're going almost at a full year. Like right at the beginning of January, it will be a year. Mm -hmm. Because I think you're like me in the sense that, like, you get an idea, you get really excited about it, and you do it for a little while, and then you move on to another creative project. Yeah, like you crash and burn. This is the most you like, you found your niche, and that's I, super fucking cool. I somehow have a groove going on here. Yeah. And it doesn't really seem to require a lot of validation. <laughs> well, that's good, because you're a white guy with a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's one thing that I've been saying to myself all year is, like, I don't need validation. I just need to know. That I believe in what I'm doing. Man, you got to make it because you love making it. That's the best. That's where the best work comes from. I'll be honest, though. Except for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, was just, which was just a big fucking commercial. I love that movie, though. Me too, man. It was the greatest. I tell you, though, I got to admit, as far as like online networking and shit, I suck at that shit. I'm so bad at Dude, it. Dude, me too. I just don't know. I just sitting there and uh, typing hashtags and shit. I... <laughs> 
I just about fall asleep just thinking about doing that. Yeah. Like, I love creating content, but like, and I, I've got a relationship with my Instagram, you know, and that's fine. Yeah. But it's even thanks to Angela's help that we're even going to have a website dropping pretty soon. So that's awesome. But I did realize after almost a year that we should probably have a website. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know who's great at networking? Reverend Billy. We pray today for protection and safety as we get into those two biodiesel buses. Reverend Billy. You know it. I've been griping all season. I want to try to be objective as possible about this. Okay. Okay. Because this movie's just setting me up to like bitch about consumerism and Black Friday oh, yeah. and all that shit. Oh, yeah. Our listeners have heard it or they've shut it off. I also have that option. But I got I to gotta chill because... We're getting closer to Christmas. When it's right in that window of time, like I really don't mind Christmas at all. It's fine. And happy Hanukkah to our Jewish listeners Mm -hmm. as well. Happy Diwali to our Indian listeners. And happy Kwanzaa. Let us come together to celebrate this season of Kwanzaa. What are some of the other holidays? I honestly couldn't tell you. When I said Diwali, I wasn't totally sure. I know it started sometime in early November, but I know it lasts for quite a while. It's uh, It has something to do with the God of Light defeating the God of Darkness. And you know what? I can I can live with that. That sounds kind of cool. Deity War? I like Deity War. I like that. I I also like it when, when the good guy wins. Yeah, sure. You should read Superman. I'm not a big fan comics. of all that like Ragnarok bullshit, <laughs> you know? Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Johnny, we are talking about the film What Would Jesus Buy by Rob Van Alkamade. Rob Van Alkamada. Rob Van Alkamada. I probably said that wrong in the preview last week. Thank you for correcting me. Rob Van Alkamada, and I also probably said it wrong in the intro to this episode. I'm only saying it right because the guy's brother lives at Jesus People USA. That's right. You're the the community you were formerly associated with. Formerly, yes. I think with this episode, I'm going to rate in real time. I'm going to do my herd songs in real time. We'll say we're going to start at a fair three. Before I even watch the movie, we'll start at a three. Okay, three. Got it, got it. So I'm at three Herzogs right now. Then I discovered that this was produced by the director of last week's episode, Super Size Me. That's right. This is produced by Morgan Spurlock. That drops one Herzog right there. But it's directed by somebody else. Absolutely, yeah. Directed by Rob Van Alkamati. Produced Van Alkamata. by Van Alkamata. <laughs> I'm going to fuck that up. <laughs> and this was produced through Morgan Spurlock's production company, Warrior Poets. He named a production company Warrior Poets. That drops another Herzog right there. That's pretentious as fuck that you named your production company Warrior Poets. Right off the bat, What Would Jesus Buy by Rob Van Alkamati. Did I say that right? Van Alkamata. Van Alkamata is at a one Herzog. Starting off. All things considered, if you took all those elements, I think I'm in the same boat with you. I gotta say, it can really probably only climb from here. But let's get into this. What is this? This church? Uh, This is the church of Stop Shopping. They go around and they stage church services, I guess. That sometimes they're actually at church buildings. Sometimes they're actually at churches because according to several pastors interviewed, 
they're really not too far off from what Jesus originally intended. That's one thing I've noticed is that nobody's saying they're wrong. You know, it seems, <laughs> even <laughs> people true. who are like, even people who are like, I'm doing what I want. I want to spend all my kids college fund to get like worthless shit. Even then they're like, well, you're not wrong. Everyone, <laughs> when they hear this guy, they're like, yeah, he's right. I'm, gonna, Absolutely. I'm still going to go blow all my money on. Oh yeah. Shit. Yeah, totally. So what do you do? The good advice is so so cheap. The cheapest thing in the world. Hey, you drink too much. What should I do? Don't drink. Oh, I, I, I smoke crack every weekend and I'm starting to do it every day. What do I do? Uh, stop smoking crack. It just mm -hmm. seems so obvious. We live in this very consumery society. We're well past Black Friday. We see some clips of Black Friday. Yeah. I don't, I'll never understand why people want to do that to themselves. I, I don't. I don't do that ever. I stay home on Black Friday. Uh, it's not because I'm righteous. I just hate crowds. At this point, this is a one Herzog film. Mm -hmm. But after I watched it, I watched this with Angela, and she, it did get her to thinking about how she spends money and what she wants to do mm -hmm. this Christmas. What do you spend on every year for Christmas? What is something that you're guaranteed to drop your money on other than like food and shit? Oh, yeah. Um, I tend to buy very unique secondhand gifts for my friends and my family. I am actually super good at it. I went to the discount Goodwill one year and got a pair of moon boots that go over your regular boots for my friend Binkley. Well, I found out my friend Beth's priest has the same name as Captain America. Steve Rogers? Wow. There's a Father Stephen in Franklin, Father Stephen Rogers, so I changed a Captain America coloring book. I just saluted Johnny. <laughs> that sounds like fun and very to personal. To look like her priest, like everything, like gave him the same goatee, changed his uh, suit into like a orthodox vestments it sounds like you make it fun yeah and it's all for the selfish goal of winning christmas i yeah. want to win christmas bobby <laughs> but that's the good way to do it i agree you don't do it based upon like what the nicest thing is oh hell no what the creative and most personal thing is i've never been able to afford the nicest thing so it's kind of something that i've had to do like i grew up with a very crafty resourceful family angel and i are actually pretty good about not spending that much money on christmas but we do buy gifts to for certain children in our family especially the ones mm -hmm. close to us and their gifts cost between 15 to 30 dollars i would say a pop yeah but that's, we, that's average we only buy for kids because in our mind that's just who christmas should truly be for Fair enough. Like, if that's when it was the best. I, I did enjoy Christmas when I was younger. Yeah. And I feel like preserving that magic for kids is the most important aspect of Christmas, at least coming from a person like me who's not very religious or anything, but right. is culturally obligated to celebrate the holiday. <laughs> right. And I'm sure, and in some sense, you enjoy some form of togetherness yeah. with your family. Personally, as, as a grown-ass man, you know, I'm 34 now. I kind of have all the material goods that I want. Sure. When it comes to things that are within people's Christmas price range. I have most of what I want. I really just want to get around and eat a bunch of stuff with people I like. Food. We spend food, a lot man. more money on food for sure. Food and booze. And if y'all like booze, listen to our Christmas episode. I think you'll enjoy it. Because we will get uh, maybe a little lit on Christmas. What's our Christmas episode? Angela and I will be doing that, but hopefully you'll be here on the 30th. There's a little bit of a gathering going on. A little gathering of the Dockalos. Whoa. <laughs> Woo. 
I know you've gotten uh, texts and emails, maybe, but uh, but you seem very surprised by. I don't always check your text, Bobby. <laughs> Let me bowl through chunks of this movie right okay. now. We're opening up on a montage of consumerism, Johnny. We so get, much of it. We see some trees getting bought, some trees getting decorated. There's uh, clips of news anchors saying things like, Look, we can't just let the terrorists win and just stay home. We see clips of a Black Friday shit show. There's a CNN anchor that says, I just like to say, as I always say, sometimes I enjoy my diamond ring much more than I enjoy my husband. What a great relationship that must be. Right. What a vapid, nothing relationship that to is. To be fair, she did say, sometimes. I don't know. Sometimes I enjoy my diamond ring well, more than my husband. Or if you weren't vapid. Yeah, and your husband's probably cheating on you. So just lean right into that diamond Actually, ring. Actually, yeah, to be fair, like he could just be a real dick. Yeah, he could, he could afford be. to buy her a diamond. Yeah. So maybe, she's, maybe, maybe she was just giving a little jab in the ribs on the air. That would be cool. <laughs> I get, I get. Either way, they used it for this purpose, and they're making a point, and I get it. Or she's just entitled as shit. Still getting preachy as fuck. And we see Reverend Billy popping up. He's on Glenn Beck. Drive the demons out of those cash registers. We see him on Glenn Beck's show. Remember that? <sighs> now, this time when this movie come had come out, culturally, there was a lot of focus in the news media on consumerism and where it was going. This is kind of similar to the other Morgan Spurlock produced and directed movie Super Size Me we did last week. It looked like he owned that, like he really changed something. But if you look at the context of the time, everyone was like wigging out about their health and people were starting to go after lobbyists and going mm -hmm. to Capitol Hill to talk about the fast food epidemic. Spurlock just kind of was there at the right time. And I think this movie is similar to that in that way. The most solid timestamp to me was when it was talking about go out and shop or the terrorists have won. Don't let the terrorists make you afraid of going out and shopping. I remember it was George W. Bush's version of like, keep calm and carry on. Don't stay in your homes. Don't live in fear. Go out, shop, spend time with your families, blah, 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 with an extra focus on shopping because the terrorists want us to not shop. We're here in the Trumpian era and I know everyone's freaked out and I think almost the reaction to the Trumpian era is to look back at George Bush in those years almost like it was weirdly quaint. Right. But there is some the major shit that was occurring there cannot be underplayed. and that, Absolutely not. And this with us or against us mentality, it really, conservatives kind of define liberalism in such specific ways. And a lot of this was starting at this time. Like Very the, much so. I feel like... Like if you criticize this, you're against the entire military. Oh, yeah. That kind of shit. If you don't do it th this way, your support uh, like militant theocrats in the Middle East. And it's like, what? We haven't been speaking absurdly only in the last two years. No, no, hell no. The I, Man, I don't know how to explain it. But I do know that this, this entire mindset, it didn't start at 9-11, but... The mindset we're in now, the Trumpian mindset, new Republican mindset, really started to take hold in the post-9-11 era. That's true. And I remember that this talk of immigration, this talk of keeping, like, uh, restricting immigration from Middle Eastern countries and predominantly Muslim countries, it started to pick back up after the Paris shootings at that Eagle of Death, that Eagles of Death Metal oh, right. concert. Oh, right, right. And I realized that we're still there. I mean, after eight years of 
liberal comfort under Obama, we kind of tended to forget these things. Yeah, that's... but honestly, we're still there. That the right that was set up by Bush and by the Project for the New American Century and by the Patriot Act, it's still there. And in many ways, Bush and his cabinet and his Congress were more effective at it. Yeah. Because they set things up in our foreign policy that carried all the way through the Obama administration. And a lot of those things were bipartisan as well. So it's possible that Bush was better at fucking things up than Trump. Trump is a much bigger dick. He's definitely a worse person. I think the main difference truly is that the Republicans are no longer trying to put a veneer on it. No. It's just straight up like fuck brown people. That's just where they're at. And it's absolutely and it's disturbing how well it resonates because why been, can't I say the N word? Where's yeah. my freedom of speech? <laughs> you have the freedom to say that word. The reality is you're afraid of getting your ass kicked. So yeah, the difference now is say. that brown people have the freedom to say fuck you. If you want to say the N word, say it, pussy. That's what I say. <laughs> say it and see what happens. The government's not putting you can't put you in jail for saying the N word. And you know what? If if I'm in a bar and I hear you say it and someone punches you straight in the balls, everyone's I'm going laugh to laugh. My ass off. Everyone's going to laugh. And then buy the cheapest whiskey and then dump it in your face. I think a lot of people think freedom of speech is also living in a world where other people also don't have opinions. <laughs> people openly disagreeing with you will often be called an attack. Right. And it's like, look, even if the ideology is seemingly monstrous, mm-hmm. we we don't live in a world where I know it sucks to live in this world where basic human rights don't seem to be respected. This idea that we will someday get to a point where we're never arguing against the most basic shit, the basic ugly shit, uh, that's probably never going to happen. Uh, that's never what democracy or even a republic or any society with free speech was ever supposed to be. There's always going to be fighting. And within people in your political camp, there's going to be infighting. And honestly, that keeps everybody on their toes. Where the fuck are we going here? I don't know. Except to say that being a leftist in the South, my entire fucking adult life, right? my arguments have been sharpened to a very fine point because of people's backlash. So I, if I, that's what Republicans are afraid of, fuck them. Yeah. Welcome to my life. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Man, let me tell you, the Southern progressive, they could kick any progressive's ass anywhere on the West Coast, up in the Northeast. Oh, fucking Western liberals, man. I know, like... I mean, if you're a Western liberal listening... We're on the same side. I love you and whatever, we're on the same side, but... but we're we're tougher than you are. That's just a fact. You should just come down to Alabama, and I can put you through a political boot camp. Yeah. You'll <laughs> be better off for it. I promise. Yeah, you and your San Fran family like yelling about the same thing. It's not, it wasn't like this here. Imagine having to spend half your life explaining how slavery was wrong. Or that the Civil War was actually about About slavery, slavery. Or that the Confederate States of America was very vocal that it started because (laughs) they wanted to keep slavery. Well, here's how you, here's how you attack that argument. And this is from a Southern Progressive's Guide to Attacking That Argument. Mm -hmm. You'll hear it say it's about money. It's about states' rights. Ask this question. States' rights to do what? Ask that question. We'll see a pause immediately. Anyway, let's get into this movie. Whenever anyone now says states' rights, ask them states' rights to do what? (laughs) Yeah, right. Honestly, it's the same thing. Yeah. 
Okay, so we're back into the part in the documentary where if you don't shop, the terrorists have won. We meet Reverend Billy in the not in the Stop Shopping Choir. <laughs> They're on this trip. We see a guy named James. He seems to be the choir leader. Let me tell you something. Hey, who's the man who cast the ball on the big bad shopping mall? I kind of thought, now, I've never said this about anything ever, mm -hmm. but I looked at Reverend Billy. I think he's probably like agnostic or something. We don't really get into his belief beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I never thought I'd ever say this, but I found myself wanting him to actually be a Christian because I really think that it would resonate with people who needed to hear it more if he was coming from that place. I absolutely agree. I didn't get that he was against Christianity or anything like that. He seemed to be willing to collaborate with like-minded people of faith, and I wouldn't be surprised if there were quite a few Christians in his choir. I thought that too. I mean, not... several of those people have clearly been in the church choir before. Yes, James being one. As much as I, I really don't like organized religion at all, I'm a non-believer, but I do find myself hoping that when people are practicing their religion that I hope they do the most positive version of it. I agree. And I kind of feel that way about Reverend Billy. Reverend Billy, he's got the collar on. He's got the pompadour. Looks like bleached blonde hair. Oh, it's so beautiful. He looks like he's trapped in an SNL skit. <laughs> but like one of the skits like really late into the episode before the last uh, band performance. And he's also doing a pitch perfect Benny Hinn. Does Are have you familiar that with Benny Hinn? John Hans, quick, quick, quick. Come on, John Hans, quick. Yes. The my televangelist. Mo my mother used to just keep the Christian televangelist channel on. Our God, he inhabits the praise. When I yeah. pop into her house, Benny Hinn would just be on TV. Praise the Lord. Someone pick up that kick. Dude's just doing a white Benny Hinn. It's amazing. There's a lot of cute graphics. There's a lot of man on the street interviews. Like, what does Christmas mean to you? What do you want? Yeah. I want some flossy ass rims. Material stuff ain't important. You know, I just want to cruise around flossing my rims. Blah, blah, blah. I should say that when it comes to the style of documentaries, this is pretty cookie cutter. It's very cookie cutter. It's very much the the same thing you'll find in the red pill, unfortunately. Um, Or Michael Moore's documentaries or Morgan Spurlock's documentaries where the documentarian inserts himself into the narrative. Yeah. You don't actually see the crew. You don't hear their voice, but you can tell the documentarian has a message. The produce, the director has a message to put out there. And that's when, honestly, it goes from documentary to propaganda to me. Billy Not necessarily in a bad way, because propaganda just means art with a message most of the time. Mm -hmm. Billy, is he, he holds that place that Michael Moore and Morgan Spurlock hold in there, so you don't see Rob that much, but Billy <laughs> fills that void. He does, and I wish I saw more Billy and less of everything else. I'm going to go ahead and say that right now. Went up several stars because of Reverend Billy. I'm going to go ahead and bump it up to another Herzog, because I did... I mean Herzog. Herzog. You can I, cut that out. I did find that <laughs> That Billy was at least sincere and passionate about what he was doing. So I'm going to bump it up to one more. Oh, episode. yeah. Also, his performance is stellar at this point. Billy is on Times Square and he's lamenting the consumerism that Times Square now represents. Times mm -hmm. Square. Now, Billy needs to slow his roll on lamenting old Times Square because old Times Square 
was full of like adult theaters. Yep. You could get stabbed by a broken piece of glass on it. You could buy any drug you wanted. I mean, it went from people were buying like, you know, uh, all kinds of seedy things in Times Square. True. It's just a different angle of consumerism. It's just a different type of crime, Billy. Yeah, Billy's like, oh, I miss the days when uh, you could see uh, a, a guy blowing another guy over there for some rock. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. And, and then uh, a Santa Claus pissing himself. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. That's when people knew what Christmas was about. <laughs> But he was inspired by street preachers yeah. on New York City. And those guys are always fun. To Billy, Mickey Mouse is the Antichrist. He utilizes Mickey. He crucifies him a lot and he carries mm -hmm. him around. He likes to go into Disney stores and get arrested or kicked out. Pretty fantastic. He gets arrested a lot. He's kicked out of every Starbucks in America. Billy says, we don't have the answer. We're trying to stop our own shopping. I wrote that down to you. That was the first note I took. And that's good because he's very conscious of how they're doing it. And you see the choir as they're traveling around, really hemming and hawing over products <laughs> in a store. That's true. Just right there, one of the, that's one of the first things he says. Like you said, it makes me wish that he was an actual person of faith because that's what a person of faith is supposed to say. They're supposed to say, listen, I don't have all the answers. I'm raising questions. I'm just trying to do better. And I'm going to fuck up, but I'm trying to do better. That's an important thing that they point out. Like, they understand that it's hard. We live in a capitalistic society. We have to buy things to have anything. Mm -hmm. And they understand that completely. So, But they do have notions. They want to buy things made in America. That used to be a big thing. Like, buy American made. Well, Billy yeah. tries so hard to do that every single time. Because when you buy in America, it goes back into America. Billy's wife directs the shows. Even though a lot of the time, this is a, a lot of it is like a big joke. I feel like the crowds that Billy seems to draw in are like the ironic hipstery art school <laughs> kid kind of crowds. That like, like me. Yeah, yeah. I would like us in our 20s and shit like that. Yeah, for real. These seem like I would be there. I would watch that dude. These seem like public performances that my friends would have done yeah. in college. And when in fact it's a very witty protest. Well, James, he's the choir director. He he says that we want to have a conscience about our shop. They discuss how they're that the choirs of various backgrounds. I think they name like two occupations to signify various backgrounds. But I've got lawyers <laughs> and paralegals. Well, there's at least five liberal arts trustafarians in there. You know there is. But if you're a liberal arts trustafarian, there's worse ways to spend your time. You know, I if saw... If you have money, this is probably the best way to waste your life by not having a job. You know, I saw no white person with dreadlocks in this movie, so I'm going to give... That's super true. So I'm going to bring this up to three Herzogs. We're at three Herzogs. Okay, now. right on. And I think that's important, and they deserve to be commended for that. And there was at least three people of color in the gospel choir... Oh. So let's give it another half Herzog for that. Well done. Three and a half Herzog. At first I was like, this is the whitest gospel choir I've ever seen. Then I was like, no, wait, there's a black guy. This is all occurring around, I believe, is this movie came out in 2007. I think a lot of this is happening either 2005 or 2006. A lot of this is being filmed. I'm assuming... Okay. 2006. And their tour and what they're doing, they call it the Shopocalypse. Shopocalypse. The Church of Stop Shopping is planning what it calls a Shopocalypse tour. I'm going to go ahead and take that half Herzog off that I just <laughs> gave. Because that's one of those things that you just throw out there. Yeah. And But then you move on and you try to work it out a little bit. 
think of a better idea. Also, I'm going to go ahead and jump forward in the documentary a little bit and say that he said sheeple once. Let's take another half Herzog out for that. So now we're at a 2.5 because he said sheeple. But of course, now we're blaming the... We're blaming the director for things that Reverend Billy's doing, you know? <laughs> you know, that's fact, what you got to live with. Reverend Billy is playing a televangelist. We can't forget this. Televangelists, they come up with cheesy catchphrases. They're very ham-fisted. They're very over the top. And he's he's doing that quite well. I'm going to be, go ahead and say that. To be fair, maybe in 2007, the word sheeple was not quite as overused at that point. No. So we'll go ahead and give him back another quarter of a Herzog. So he's at 2.75. Okay. We talk to kids on the street and they say what they want. We meet a family, the Perines, their daughter, and she, the, the daughter goes through all her toys and she's got, but I noticed that her favorite toy, she said it was her favorite toy and she called it Chomp Chomp. It looked like one of those rubbery animal, like finger puppet things. And she said it was her favorite toy. I've noticed this, that you might get a bunch of like, hot flashy shit for kids but it's so typical that they like the weirdest most inexpensive looking thing that's super true often like the box that the shit came in kids will, i loved the boxes when i was a kid kids and cats they love boxes Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. dude if you gave me a refrigerator box as a kid i would have been the happiest person on earth they point out that christmas has become a combination of consumerism and family and that families show that they care by buying a bunch of stuff for their kids and in some countries it's actually illegal to advertise to anyone under the age of 12 that sounds fucking nice that sounds super rad what will we really lose if we stop that and also stopped advertising pharmaceuticals i i don't know what we'd lose but i think we would find kids deciding what they like on their own that sounds like a fucking great idea <laughs> Doesn't that sound incredible? I wrote in my notes, Billy looks more fun live than on my television. I think if we were there, we would have a really good time. Absolutely. But I kept going back and forth on whether or not I was tired of him at a certain point. I ultimately, by the end, decided that I, I, I like Reverend Billy. Same here. At first, I thought I was going to, that it was just going to be over the top, and it was. And that it was going to be, I said ham-fisted earlier, so I'll say heavy-handed. Uh, we meet uh, a mother. Her name is Carrie. She's described as the overspent mom. She talks about how every year she's paying Christmas debt until the following fall. And that her husband does not know that she has multiple credit cards that she uses to buy all these gifts. Flash forward to the end of the movie and we see that she has bought her kids like power wheels. And like power wheels were no fucking joke. Oh, oh, power wheels. Oh, oh, power wheels. Power wheels. Power wheels. Power no, They're basically dude. like tiny cars for your kids. <laughs> Power Wheels first came out when we were very young in the 80s. True. And I said to my grandmother, like, I want a Power Wheel. And she's like, oh, really? You want a Power Wheel? And I said, yes, because I'm going to drive on the road with it. And she's like, no, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. It's a car. I can drive on the road with it. She never got me a Power Wheel. In Northwest Arkansas, that's what a lot of the kids could afford. It was only like the really bougie kids in the Ozarks yeah. who could afford these Power Wheels, right? Right. So most, my only real memories in Power Wheels are either in one where the battery's dying or rolling it down a hill. In the last few years, I see kids with like mini motorcycles. You seen those? Oh yeah. Those seem kind of fun. They do seem fun. But Carrie, she takes out a lot of credit cards and she, she opens up one and says, this credit card will be 
maxed out by the end of the day. And she said her husband doesn't know. That must be insane. You know, every, even our household, and Angela and I try to be so good with money, but we're in debt, just like so many people are in debt in some mm-hmm. respect. We're just, it's like how we arrange it and how we tackle it. The American way of life now, it's completely common that everyone lives at least slightly above the means of which they're actually at. It is a huge issue Mm -hmm. and the husband is like well i want to pay off all the credit cards by the end of the month spend only what you got which what it should be but his wife literally has several cars that she's maxing out to get kid gifts that must be rough and why is that why why is there such value in that you know i gave for uh, one of my baby cousins I got her one year a Supergirl. I don't think it was a Barbie, but it's like a Barbie that looked like Supergirl. And I gave it to her and I got uh, her parents sent me this video of her opening up. Yeah. And she like flipped her shit on it. She loved this doll. Yeah. And when I saw her just so happy to have a Supergirl doll, like she was talking about what what she meant and what she was going to do with it and how she's going to save the day. I felt so proud Right. Then I got this kid something that she loved, but I got that pop, you know. I got that pop that that Carrie probably got when she saw her kids opening up fucking Power Wheels. Right. I know that feeling, and it's such a magical thing to watch a kid be so happy. Maybe it's on a creative impetus on us to figure out how to do that without, you know. I mean, this doll, it wasn't more than 20 bucks, you know. It wasn't like, it didn't put me out or anything. But is that, um, could I do it in a different way? Is there anything else I could have done that would make her appreciate it just as much without, I don't know. It really was meaningful. Yeah. And it's sad that it's the meaning is tied into the fact that I had to go out to a department store and buy something. I don't think they're saying like, don't ever shop ever because they're trying to curb their own shopping. You know, they're just trying not to, they're trying to buy ethically and they're trying to live within their means. But I think the, not the true meaning of Christmas. I'm not going to go into this miracle on 24th street bullshit. The real joy in gift giving and the real joy of getting gifts is showing that you know the person. Yeah. Or realizing that you're known. You know what I'm saying? Is that lost with our younger generations? And I'm not even saying it's their fault. It could be our fault. Do you think? I think with the uh, with the economic downturn of 2008. Yeah. Which happened a year after this movie came out. Which happened a year after this movie came out. Good point. That with that economic downturn, I think a lot of people had to learn how to live a lot more thrifty. You're seeing a lot more traffic through, say, used bookstores. Yeah. You're seeing a lot more traffic through thrift stores. And you're seeing a lot more upcycled things that are reused and turned into something else. There's a lot of shows on TV about flea market finds, about going to junk shops. I think there is more of a focus on thrift now. We were talking about this during Super Size Me, that while nothing's perfect, it does feel like society has become even more conscious about Mm -hmm. health. And, And there's even a bigger industry surrounding the concept of health which can be flawed in its own right, but it shows that I mean, the direction is going somewhere. I mean, I know people do go to thrift stores and stuff. I mean, I mean, I do because I'm cheap. Yeah. But I'm not cheap about certain things, like certain books, or if there's a record I really want. I, I'm, I'm not that cheap about that. One time a year, I will spend up to $75 on the record of my choice. Right. I buy myself one expensive record for my birthday every year. I just give myself permission to do that, you know? The Stop Shopping Choir, they go caroling. 
It's very cute scene, mm-hmm. but they've rewritten the lyrics to uh, famous songs. Ride the walls with folks with money, la 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 la. Stop shoes, the season to be dummies, la 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 la. Squeeze a fat and gap a barrel, la 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 la. Buy some junk for cousin Carol, la 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 la. He gives them lyric sheets to like for people to sing along with it. This is actually pretty funny. So I'm going to bump this up to three hurt songs because I actually laughed at this scene quite a bit. And to Reverend Billy's credit, he seems to charm people. People do seem legitimately charmed by him. Who knows what their personal politics are or if they consider themselves to be ultra capitalists or something. I have no idea. It appears that a lot of the security guards who are kicking him out are also charmed by him. Yeah, yeah. It's just their job to get him off the premises. We get a lot of testimony of what Christmas means to people. We talked to the older people in this movie. There's a lot of like, let's talk to people in malls and stuff. Pretty right. generic because you can just edit around easily and only the specific things you ever want. But a lot of the older folks talk about how their favorite Christmas memories come from times where they didn't have that much. What little they got just meant so much because of what little they had. Yeah. And that was ultimately about, you know, being together. Like that old lady almost basically in tears over the fact that her father made sure they had apples and oranges. I've noticed as a kid, you know, what you you can be pretty selfish as a kid. Yeah. You want absolutely. you want you want power wheels so you can drive them on the road, you know? Or you want <laughs> I wanted Reebok pumps. I was I mean, I was definitely a shallow kid. You because... want those like teenage mutant ninja turtle vans that shoot the pizzas or the manholes you know what i'm talking about yes i did i did want that all that cool shit you want that and you get disappointed sometimes when your grandma makes you something but later on in life that's the shit you don't throw away yeah that's the stuff you end up keeping that's the stuff that yeah that isn't broken i think back to my childhood with my grandmother and we weren't flush with cash and we had some food stamp years here and there but but my but i always had a christmas my grandmother always made sure i had a christmas Mm -hmm. She's very good at making it seem like that we weren't as broke as we truly were. Also, there was layaway. And if you put things back like way early, then it's easier to pay things off. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Layaway. Check it out, folks. Is there still layaway out there? I don't know. Is, isn't there some interest involved? Don't you end up paying more? Probably, but it's just okay. kind of how folks in the country could afford things like Sega Genesis. Oh, shit. that's absolutely true. That's weird. I haven't heard much about Layaway in the last few years. It's, it was a huge thing in my childhood. Yeah, I wonder if it's still a thing. But as much, and I'm so grateful for my grandma, and I remember loving some things, and like, some things I was shocked. When I got older and I saw how much Lego sets were, I was like, oh my God. Oh, dude. She never should have got me that Lego pirate ship. That's too expensive, you know? Oh my God, yes. And even though she technically couldn't afford it, she did. But the things that stick with me the most of those times is not the shit that I got. It's the fact that it's her and yeah. the, the feeling she felt when she saw that I was happy. And as I got older, my happiness is not hinging on shit like that anymore. It helps when you get older and your family starts to lose what little money they have and you have to pay for your own shit. So then you're not so, then yeah. you're like, no, nah, well, I, mean, I ain't getting no Reebok pumps. I'm going to get the, I'm going to go to the thrift store. That's or when you the thrift just realize that like getting paid a few hundred dollars every week is really not that much. No. Like when you're nine, $300 seems like a billion trillion dollars, but then you realize how much that's actually worth. But it was all about the people who cared about yeah. me. And that's what was most important. 
Reverend Billy cites our favorite Bible passage where Jesus goes in and fucks up some money changers in the temple. The best Bible passage. This is the third time we've mentioned it. It really is a great one. It really is. You know, when people when people ask, what would Jesus do? Flipping over money tables yeah. is an option. Taking a cash register and throwing it through a window. Some people say, well, it was Jesus. He was He was God. He was the Lord. He gets to do what he wants because he's God. But there was that whole part where he said to follow him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm laying away, like tipping over some cash registers as a viable option for my future. There's a bit of a scare as an 18-wheeler crashes into the touring bus. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Oh, yeah. People have to get taken to the hospital, but ultimately... 13. Yeah, 13. A little scary. It looked like it was kind of bad, and people were maybe lucky to walk out of that on their feet. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Eventually everything is is okay, thankfully. Then they're all on the way to the Mall of America, that giant mall that gets like millions and millions of visitors every year. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite parts of this movie, and this will bump it up to 3.25 hertz songs, is when he's getting escorted out and he yells at a mall cop. Hallelujah, I wasn't nice. And the wife points out that- Try it now, it's never too late. And then he turns around. And- I'm sorry I yelled at you, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I, I get angry at police pretty easily. His wife is kind of keeping things focused. It's like, there's a lot of question over whether or not that they are effective, but she seems to be making sure that he is at least a good person while he's trying to explain his message. You can tell before they met that he was just a driving creative force. He just made stuff, you know, much like you and me. We need uh, practical people, level-headed people. Absolutely. To actually make our dreams reality. It seems like she's she's that for him. She's he's the creative one and she might be creative, but that's not focused in the that's not the focus of the documentary. She is the smart one. Definitely. So she's keeping this dude in check and making sure that he's got gas in the tank and he stays on the road. They go to a, a privately owned store. Not a big company store, but it's like a clothing store. And they meet store owner Mike, who looks kind of like Stephen Root, the actor Stephen Root. But I said, I, I don't care if they lay me off either, because I told I told Bill that if they move my desk one more time, then, then, I, then I'm quitting. I'm going to quit. And, and I told Dom, too, because they've moved my desk four times already this year, and I used to be over by the window, and I could see the squirrels, and they were married. But then they switched. And he sells Billy a sweater, and those sweaters are made in the USA. Because that's what Billy wants to buy. He wants to buy the made in the USA shit. Mm-hmm. Mike, the store owner, talks about how Walmart is killing his business. And he doesn't even encourage his sons to take over his business. Because he knows it's just not going to work out for them if he does that. Yeah. That's so sad. So once he retires, this job is just done. Then we talk about issues of globalism. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Now, we don't mean like like in the Trump way of things where he claims to be against globalism, but then empowers companies that send people overseas. Well, you know, it's it's strange that the term globalism in pop culture has acquired different connotations. That's true. In the past 10 years, in the past decade, globalism used to mean global capitalism. It used to mean a lot of jobs being shipped overseas. It kind of still means that. And it used to mean um, like cheap labor, which is one of the things they focused on in the documentary, sweatshops. That's kind of Um, more the negative aspects of it. Child labor. 
basically the way that we've outsourced slavery. I feel like that's what globalism used to mean. And now it's this American populist idea where we need to keep America American. So it's become anti-immigration and anti-creating jobs for people overseas. Wonderful Christmas time. On the political spectrum, if you go far left and far right, both have their own takes on why they hate globalism. True. And it comes in two different directions. It seems like our hand is in the muck so deep that it just seems like to pull completely out, there's going to be a tremendous vacuum. Yeah. There's some pro-globalist proponents claim that while a lot of these areas that are manufacturing goods are not ideal compared to our American culture, it is better than it was prior to that existing. And maybe to some extent that's true. There's also an aspect of globalism that, like a cultural globalism, where mm -hmm. Like Michael Jackson CDs are being heard in Dubai, that kind of globalism. Yeah. I kind of feel like that aspect of globalism is not so bad. Or you're hearing hip hop from the Sahara. Yeah, that's kind of- That's for, cool as shit. That's also- They're making the, that on their cell phones. And that's the aspect of America. Maybe like the products that are processed through that and where those products come from yeah. can be morally questioned. But the way American culture spreads into the world- because that's what truly people love the most about America. It's not really about the politics. Everyone hates our politicians. It's the music and the fashion. More than half this country hates the White House right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. But everyone fucking loves what America makes, the cultural and the art that they make. And I think that is probably the best aspect of globalism. Dude, I absolutely agree. You could really go back and forth a lot of it, but ultimately we're kind of stuck with it. So the measure is how do we make it more ethically viable. Mm. How do we make globalism work for those who are manufacturing this shit? And how are we making it work for people back home? The factory life wasn't really sold very well to our generation. We did not grow up hoping to work in like tile factories and shit like that. I mean, even in school, in school, which is supposed to, according to some leftist theorists, it's just supposed to create mindless laborers, right? Yeah. But that wasn't that wasn't my experience. In school, they were trying to nudge you towards the white collar professions. Yeah. The entire time. No very few people were advocating tech school. They very few people were advocating like welding school where you could actually join a union and yeah. get paid well. Yeah. So most of us ended up aiming for the white collar work and ended up in service jobs. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. I think our generation got a lot of the you can be whatever you want to be, mm -hmm. which is a crock of shit. Like not it is. It depends on what background you come from. Guess what? If you come from a lot of privilege and a lot of money, then you have a lot of time. And a lot of that time allows you to afford your way into what you want to be. But sometimes people who ain't got nothing, if they want to be something specific, have to eat shit a lot longer before they even get close to getting to that. And the reality of life is that it just may not even happen. Which is Absolutely. sad to say, but it's just something that has to be explained more, I guess. It was just strange that the people now who are saying, what's wrong with going to tech school? Why didn't you like, why didn't, why did you go to art school? Yeah, why didn't you go, did. <laughs> why didn't you go learn to weld? Why didn't you go learn to be a radiologist? Right. Those were the same fucking people in the nineties and the early two thousands that were telling you to go to school, get a piece of paper. It doesn't matter in what that'll help you yeah. get a better job that you need to. And those were the people who were looking down 
on blue collar professions. That's true. That cultural transition. I'm glad you're talking about that. They robbed us of our ability to find careers where we could fucking unionize. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Yeah, we're in service jobs. Yeah, you you can be a professional photographer and then you go to a school where like 200 people want to be professional photographers and it hits you like, we're not all going to make it. Yes. In fact, only three probably are. And if you're good at art, if you were good at art or music or something creative, people would see what you did. And one of the first things they would mention is how you need to make this a career. I'm sure this has happened to you. Yeah. We've been nudged our entire lives into the creative professions yeah. and then shamed because we pursued that as a profession. Simply. Yeah. Damn. A wonderful Christmas time. And we get that it's bullshit. We get that it's bullshit. But yeah, but these for-profit colleges, like they they were not like, come get your bullshit degree. Nope. And if you look at the people trying to tell you that you can do this, what are they doing? Teaching. Absolutely. Honorable profession. Yeah, it's fine. By profession. The way. But let's be honest, a lot of these liberal arts degrees. That's the path you take. And, you know, I'm glad that I learned what I learned. I didn't, I don't have a degree, actually. Right. I actually consider myself pretty lucky that I didn't go into debt to go to college because now I'm one of the richest guys I know. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't have debt. That's a big deal. I have like one other friend who doesn't have debt. Right. Other than that, everyone's got debt. I mean, I owe my mom a few hundred dollars. That's about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? A big problem is that we took a lot of like the liberal arts stuff out of basic education. Yeah. You know, in Europe... Everyone has to analyze poetry and everyone takes these art courses and art history. They try to instill the hearts of poets and artists to kids so that when they're older, they can make more viable, practical decisions when they're going into college. Because in art, what do artists do? They make art. And Mm -hmm. I felt like there was so many art kids, and I was guilty of this too, that wanted to be an artist, but did they make art like every day of their life all the time? That was a question that no one said that we should ask ourselves. Mm. Because they're not going to tell us that because that college wants money. And we got to feed into a system. And this wouldn't be so bad if we were just more intellectually prepared for that. I think if we all studied art and drama and writing uh, and had a lot more focus on that through elementary to high school, then we would have a firm understanding that whether or not this career works for us because we would develop into people who either are doing it or are not. And even if you are someone who's making art every day, dude, just keep doing it. You may not even have to go to college, to be honest. Damn straight. And I got to say, like, I would be totally fucked while we're on this bunny trail because I really like this bunny trail we're on. I'm going to say while we're on this bunny trail that I am glad that I discovered punk rock when I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you also discovered underground music at a pretty early age. Sure, yeah. Where you're going to shows, you're seeing people get on stage who are hungry, poorly dressed. There's no fog machine. They're tuning for... 15 minutes before they play there's no one introducing them they play their shit and there's maybe 15 people there yeah so it's it was very important to me and it was a great reality check to know that that's what the life of a musician was like yeah that that's what the life of an artist was like is like you have a day job and then you design t-shirts for other bands you know or you have a part-time job and you do short tours on the weekends. You go on tour and then you sleep on people's floors. Mm-hmm. And I got to say that was that was one of my saving graces when it comes to how I saw my future going. Because of them, because of these bands that came through, not just punk bands, it 
got me out of that American Idol mindset, you know? Yeah. It got me out of that idea that I was going to be discovered and make a comfortable living from what I do. You know, it's funny when I first moved to Nashville, and keep in mind, I only grew up like 40 miles away from Nashville. I worked in a restaurant. Which in Nashville cultural terms. terms is like 40,000 miles. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you get you get maybe half an hour outside of the city and you are in the deep ass south. Yeah, true. Technically the Mid-South, but we know what you mean. But I went to work at this uh, restaurant in Nashville, one of my first jobs in town. And the server was talking about how he wanted to make it as a songwriter. And I was asking about his band and he was like, no, no, I'm just a songwriter. And then I said, you mean the the singer of the band just doesn't write the songs? We li- <laughs> that there was a guy that only writes the songs just seemed odd to me. But that's based on like the music that I listened to right. and the background of the bands that I enjoyed. If your band is playing songs, someone in that band wrote the songs. And of course, Nashville has a songwriting industry. It has long before I came into this world. But it was just awkward to see someone trying to obtain that. Right. Just make a band, Just dude. get a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Just go out and play your shit, dude. What the hell? But we're in Bentonville, Arkansas right now. Oh, God. Okay. That's okay. where the Walmart HQ is. Sure, we're skipping some things, but we need to get through this. Honestly, this is how I felt when I was watching the documentary. I just started thinking about other stuff. <laughs> so when Reverend Billy was on, I was, in ra- I was paying rapt attention. And everything else, it was just so basic. It was so entry level when it comes to political awareness and awareness of consumerism mm. that I started thinking about, man, thank God I discovered punk rock when I was 12. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think this movie does kind of send you down like weird avenues in your brain and and then you realize you're not actually watching the movie anymore and i understand that it's an educational film in a way that it's supposed to have a message and i guess it's just something that a lot of us learned a long time ago unless you're pretty fucking right wing none of this is news that's true you know what i mean yeah he's kind of preaching to the choir but of course unintended that's almost the message of the early 2000s true that we didn't know a lot of this stuff back then that Super Size Me had just come out Bowling for Columbine had just come out and at least me being as young as I was I don't know how widespread this message was me being as young as I was Bowling for Columbine showed me some new things like Canada has a shit ton of guns but there's still not much violence Yeah. or that like how bad McDonald's can be for you and how it has little to no nutritional value or I'm proud to say I had that one figured out or just the idea that like what would Jesus buy that Jesus might want us to be more responsible with our spending and might want us to you know just take care of the poor and shit yeah he'd buy wood to a lot of to a lot of Christians that was kind of earth shattering because it's not taught you know what I mean so maybe it was just the early 2000s and maybe this was a new message then but it bored the fuck out of me in 2018 So Billy and the choir, they're in Bentonville, and they don't, he kind of looks like he just humps a bush out by the big sign. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. I was wondering what that was. Afterwards, there's kind of an existential crisis within the choir. Billy's wife is like, look, I really need something to kind of happen here. I think I started cleaning house at this point in the documentary. And Billy's a little down. He's like, all I did was like jump into a bush. <laughs> He's kind of feeling down about it. And so, I mean, I, you can imagine that this is very weary. He's not just a performer. He really wants to get a message out there. He does have the fervor of a televangelist 
except he doesn't want anything in return except people to listen to his message. I very much respect him for that. Well, he's also in a world where everyone thinks he's right, but no one does what he says. Right. Kind of like Jesus. Yeah. Well, it's Christmas Eve at this point, and we're in L.A., and what happens in L.A.? Traffic jams. Oh, that's so L.A., right? <laughs> I love L.A. There's a weird dude in the street. I forget what he says. He says some weird fucking shit. And if they continue to fornicate after they know the difference, then it might cause a 9.2 earthquake to destroy Los Angeles. So a lot of us have to remain virgins until the day that we die. But it weirds out the the people in the choir. And they're fucking weird. Uh, the choir and Billy walk up to a baby in the street. He saves the baby from consumerism. He does. <laughs> It was a legitimately a funny scene, but also... The parents were super into it in the beginning, and then their their faces kind of change halfway through. They're like, what? I think dad, the dad got seriously emotional about it. I think he actually was touched by okay, it. Okay, right on. Can't remember where I'm at in Herzog. We'll bring it up to a three Herzog at this mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. But then they go to Christmas Day. They go to Disneyland. <sighs> Disneyland was originally built by Walt Disney to... Um, resemble the main street of the town he grew up in and billy sees the irony of this as main streets in american small towns are not very viable anymore the other irony is that main streets in america back then were not very diverse yeah it's a good point the choir they go to disneyland but they're posing as a pasadena unitarian church that's their guys which is very clever they don't want to say that they're like a Baptist church because people no. might be able to see right through them. But if they say they're Unitarians, you could take one look at them and be like, yeah, you probably Yeah, are. I mean, you could be you could be anything except a bigot and pass as a Unitarian. Yeah, pretty from much. From what I understand. The bell tolls at Disneyland and the choir starts to sing. Main Street, USA! It's made in China! Sir? Something's wrong! Of course, Billy gets arrested and is taken to Disney jail. We're winding down to the end of the movie here. Good. Uh, and we've <laughs> so tired of it. We see one homeless person who seems to have an apartment and they're having a Christmas dinner with other people who are who have experienced life on the street. Mm-hmm. That's who I think of a lot around Christmas time and what kind of bumps me out because depression is huge around the holidays. Yeah. Is that, what about the homeless? What about, like, fucking mistreated pets? Not just homeless pets, but those with bad owners who just throw them out. That's the kind of depressing shit I think of. But then they ask an important question. Question will end the movie. What was Christmas before the shopping started? Wow. 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 
Johnny, we don't rate in a star rating scale. That star that guided Jesus to the manger or the wise the man. Wise, the wise man, buddy. The Jesus wise wasn't man. born yet. <laughs> oh, no, he was born, but he was already in the manger. The star that the... guided the wise men. Yes. That seems like a very nice star. But yeah. I'm just, I'm prejudiced against stars. I'm a bigot against stars. <laughs> and even that star can go fuck itself. What they should have followed was Werner Herzog. They probably would have sent him to like a jungle where a guy's trying to pull, Eat their a, faces. pull a boat over a hill or something. <laughs> we rate in the Herzog rating scale. Okay. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. And then we will combine them just like how you might consolidate all your credit card debt into best out of 10 mm -hmm. Herzogs. Johnny, what did you think of this film? What would Jesus buy by Rob? Uh... What's his name? Van Alcamada. Van Alcamada. I didn't think much about it. Honestly, I dreaded watching it. Bobby's been telling me for weeks or maybe even months now that we're going to do What Would Jesus Buy? And I'm like, Bobby, do we have to? And he's like, well, we have to do something you're not going to like. I put on the documentary. I started watching it. And I'm like, God, this fucking blows. Then I saw Reverend Billy and I was like, man, this guy's fucking awesome. But then I saw the rest of the documentary and I was like, this documentary fucking blows. It's very early 2000s. I mean, to me, it can be very educational to the right person who's been living under a rock for a very long time. But like I said, to someone who's seen these kinds of documentaries in the early 2000s, watching it again in 2018, it seems pretty basic. And it doesn't even seem like a uh, Jesus camp situation where you look back and you realize how far we've come. It's not even dated enough to be of its time. Just kind of preachy. It's barely even a documentary. Rob Van Alcamata, sorry, dude. I'm sure you worked really hard on this. It seems like he couldn't decide whether it was about Reverend Billy and the Stop Shopping Choir or consumerism and Christmas in America. You could have stuck with one of those things and made it really interesting. I liked the graphics. I liked the Shopocalypse graphics near the end of the film. I liked the way it was executed, but it didn't commit to any of the subject matter enough to be interesting. I would give Reverend Billy himself four and a half Herzogs. Yeah, I can agree with that. And if Herzog had directed this, I would have given it five Herzogs because it would be a God's Angry Man situation except about Reverend Billy, which would be cool as shit because I love their message. I love their entire mission and I love how they put it together and I like their music so much that I got on Discogs and bought the album. We rate people in Fred Rogers. so <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So well, Reverend I mean, Billy is a four out of five? No, Reverend Billy would be a three out of five Fred Rogers. Okay. You know, I don't know. I don't know how virtuous he is as a person. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure he's flawed. Like, I mean, like we all are. Except Fred Rogers, apparently. <laughs> you know, he might have been perfect. He might. I mean, it's it's I hard to find dirt on him. Everyone thinks there's something creepy is going to come out. There's nothing. This no, guy was no, like, it's really, his kids are like, yeah, he's actually pretty fucking good dude. Does he have any flaws? Well, he got sad sometimes. He said ass once. <laughs> Well, there was one time he was not encouraging of a gay dude coming out. Oh, right. But then later he was, so that's yeah. not a problem anymore, you know? <laughs> God, I forget what I was saying. Well, how many Herzogs do you give uh, What Would Jesus Buy? Because of Reverend Billy, I give it two, but only because of Reverend Billy. 
That's I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. So you give it two Herzogs. Johnny, I'm I'm feeling everything you're saying. I want Reverend Billy to succeed. And I did like Reverend Billy and I did like the choir. I, I said earlier in this episode that I think I would enjoy this a lot more in person if I knew them in person. Mm-hmm. I think I'd get a lot out of it. I feel like I'm not perfect, but I but my attitude, my inherent attitude on Christmas prevents me from really going hard on the consumerism. I feel like oh, I do buy gifts for the kids, but ultimately I do kind of treat December like any other month, you know? So it's just my normal habits that take place, not really specifically Christmas habits. But as far as this movie and how it was set up and how it's, how the style of it, you could not get more of a cookie cutter stylistic documentary out there. It's very challenging to make any movie, but this is definitely in your Morgan Spurlock vein of things. Just throw it all together and mix it like cheap uh, chocolate. What Can I say something really harsh? Go ahead. I just realized that this documentary is so lightweight it's basically the red pill for liberals. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. It is pretty fucking harsh. So basic and so lightweight and so elementary. It says absolutely nothing shocking. That's true. The only interesting thing is the characters. I think I would give Reverend Billy a, a four out of five Fred Rogers because I think he really is sincere. I hope this guy is out there doing it. You know, still, because... Me too, man. I think his message does need to be heard. But that's the thing about the message. No one disagrees with your message. It's just, what do people need to do to do it? And I hate to say this, but I think maybe just some bad shit's going to have to go down before people have to stop doing something. It seems like the only way that that's going to happen. Or maybe if Rob Van Alcamada had focused more on fucking Reverend Billy and how he lived his life. Yeah. And how he actually found solutions to this, you might have found a better... We got, might have had a better impact. We got maybe a minute of his past, and it seemed to like just blow through it pretty quickly. Yeah. I think a more personal journey into Reverend Billy and even other people in the choir, which I found myself wanting to know more about people, Me like, too. people like James and this person who used to be an attorney. I really wanted to know how would their stories and how did they learn to turn around and what drew them to Reverend Billy. That's really what you want to know. This is the church of stop shopping. Where's their conversion stories? Yeah. We, That's what I want to know. It blows my mind that I'm saying this because I never say this. I want them to come to actually have a sincere religious approach because I think that would resonate even more with people in this country if they were actually sincerely religious. And you can come from, based on Jesus teachings, you can come to this conclusion from that angle. Mm -hmm. But it was just a bunch of like agnostic liberal arts majors, it seemed like. And I feel you. I know what it's like to be that. But this movie at the end of the day is just the same boring cookie cutter Christmas cookies (laughs) with too much frosting on it that we get every year. They're not wrong. It's just kind of a dull way to go about it. I, I think if I'm being nice, I'd give it a three. But then I remembered that Morgan Spurlock calls his production company Warrior Poets. (laughs) <laughs> that drops it down to a two hertz song. And then Rev- that time Reverend Billy said sheeple. Yeah. Oh, okay. I give this movie 1.75 hertz songs. <laughs> you combine that with your two hertz songs. And this movie gets a 3.75 out of 10 hertz songs. Even a little lower than I thought we were going to go. Dude, that's lower than either of us individually have rated any documentary so far, I think, except maybe one. Well, you should listen to... Our combined score is lower than... Well, for you, for sure. But I actually have 
Uh, December is kind of a, a real bitchy month for the documentaries. So if you listen to some other episodes, you've had to watch a lot more bullshit. I watch it all bullshit or, <laughs> or gyms. It's all going into my face. Well, Johnny, I hope you don't spend too much and get into debt this year at Christmas time. No, I'm going to the flea market. This movie kind of sucks, but we kind of do like Reverend Billy. Let's, and I hope he's doing well out there. I got to piss real bad. Can we stop talking about this documentary? What was it? What did we give it? 3.75 out 3. of 10 Herzogs for the film. What would Jesus buy? By Rob Van Alcamati. Van Alcamata. Van Alcamata. Sorry, Rob. All right, folks. That's that. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. See you next week. Keep on docking. continue to fornicate after they know the difference, then it might cause a 9.2 earthquake to destroy Los Angeles. So a lot of us have to remain virgins until a day that we die. Hey, 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 hey